Attention bobsled riders, you will soon be embarking on a thrilling podcast down the icy slopes of the Matterhorn, so please remain seated keeping your hands, arms, feet and legs inside the bobsled at all times. Op Hello Yodlers, we are the Matterhorn Yodlers, I am your host today, Jafith with... Jacket and I'm Bob Jepek, everyone. I'm back. <laughs> Bob, oh. why are you here? Oh, Eric, you're gonna talk about my favorite park, Disneyland. <laughs> you're gonna talk all about me, right? We're no. gonna talk about uh, 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 a different CEO. <laughs> what? A different one? There's another one other than me. <laughs> the one we all wish we had. Oh. <laughs> All right, uh, so today our episode is, I had forgotten, I was like, what are we doing again? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm hosting. Uh, we are doing a book review, and this is a birthday gift, no, Christmas, Christmas gift from Father Yodler. He gave each one of us a book called Walt Disneyland, or Walt's, with an apostrophe S, Disneyland, A Walk in the Park with Walt Disney, uh, by Marcy Carriker Smothers. And it's a compilation of stories and quotes about different parts of Disneyland. And it's you can it's like if you took the book and read it as you're going through the park, you would get the sense of Walt, um, Walt's spirit there. There's so many fun stories and facts in this book that like we won't be able to touch on like half of them. Uh, or... You didn't look at my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I will get them all. It's... Points nineteen point one point eight. It's it's a fun read. Yes, like for casual too. For, like, very casual. Oh, yeah. Like you can literally read a paragraph and be like, "That was a fun story," and then put it down. And you you don't have to go in order. In this no, book. you can read anywhere that's not like a. Fluent storyline. It's just it's not a biology or bi- biology. Bi- bi- biology. It's not <laughs> biology. There's no mitochondria. Oh, no mitosis. mitosis. <laughs> you can tell it's mitosis. Episode. Mitosis is cell division. <laughs> the mRNA. mRNA. Oh. Okay, sorry. We went too far with that joke. <laughs> My biology teacher's like, yes. <laughs> it's stuck. <laughs> um, and then the Mendel Square. No, no, no. We'll continue on. Like, yeah, there's different stories. It's very casual. Um, we got it for this last Christmas, and I've been wanting like I read like a quarter of it. I was like, let's do a book review, and I was like, let's cool our jets here. Um, I'm probably the 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 biggest reader of the of yeah. the group, yes. and. So it's easier for me to like etch out time because I've already got that habit, and I there are just so many great stories in there. There's little tidbits that you would never get in, in a museum or anything like that, and it's fun. Uh, so initially, you know, um, what were your thoughts with this book like? Um, I honestly, I think it's like a ten out of ten book. Um, it's. So get it? Is it a get it for the, like, uh... Totally get it. I mean, if you like Walt Disney and Disneyland, you should get it. Because... That is fair. <laughs> I mean, it's... <laughs> it's Nailed like... it. <laughs> That's it. If you like Disney, you like Walt Disney, you like Disneyland, you like the book. Well, I, the main thing I liked about it is just very non-commitment. You can just pick pieces out of it. And there's so many pictures. 
Oh, so yeah, many pictures great are pictures. Great. So many pictures I've never seen before. Yeah. And we've um, had biography. We've read both. Each of us have done a biography yes. on Walt and our youth. Yes. And so we've had that big old thick, you know, Walt it's, Disney book that we nice. carried to school. Like, <laughs> the book is real. Yeah. <laughs> it's real. And you'd be like, all right, what book are you, uh, what book are you reading? And you'd pull out this monstrous, like, It competes with the Bible. Book. You're like, this I book, know. you're going to read that book in fourth grade? Yes. I, it's the family Walt Disney <laughs> biography Bible. My brother read it at this time, and my brother read it. Yeah, but, I had, like, a teacher, I was doing a research <laughs> paper um, Walt Disney and uh, I reference all the books and I had to find some internet sources which were early like, internet they were forced early, to use the internet yeah, early internet yeah and um, like you can't just have book references yeah. you have to use the internet because everything um, on the internet's true forbidden yeah. that uh, I go back to 1970 style biography and the teacher was like I don't believe you that these are all books and I was like I can bring them in <laughs> And that that kept her quiet. <laughs> I'll bring a man. I'll show you. Plop, plop, plop. And that's when I knew my grade was <laughs> going to be a, a fight uphill. Little did she know, I just pulled from one book and just grabbed other books oh, for my reference That's sheets. all I did. That's all I did. I, I usually only used one book. I loved it how, like... You used the same, like, paper, but you, like, tweaked it here and there. Yeah, so so what I would do, because, like, I've written, out of, out, of, out of my family, I've written definitely the most biographies, uh, reports out of my siblings. Um, and so I think I submitted a, a biography in, um, I think it was my junior year of high school, and at that time, you had to turn in your paperwork, your your paper oh, yeah. into the you know check for plagiarism, yeah. turnitin.com or whatever it was called. <laughs> and so you know whatever, junior nothing zero. Well, the next year I submitted my paper, which was different, just formatted differently, but it was like 98% plagiarized <laughs> because it found my paper that I submitted last year. Then she goes, should, should I even read it? And I was all like, it's different. Just there's similar facts. Like Walt Disney was born in 1901. You know, like you get things like that. Truth of the matter, she didn't read the original one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's, we've got history with reading Disney books. And like our father, the other hat, like he talked about in his collection, he collects books. But this book, he was compelled to get all three of us. And and read it, and I I felt he was trying to push us like, do an episode on right. this, and <laughs> it was it's there. The yeah. material is there. So much. Material. So we're gonna read on page one first. All right, Jack, <laughs> then you go, and then you do popcorn <laughs> to Peter <laughs> or Bob Page. How about Walt gave this for free. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Bad business <laughs> or no business. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go through the lands and we're gonna each pick like a really like good story that we would like to share uh, yeah. of that area. And if there's another one they want to share, there's more more than enough stories um, to pick out. I think I picked out like almost thirty stories just to like all the little notes I picked where I can always reference it. And so, wealth of, like, fun stuff in here. Um, so, I'll start off uh, in Town Square. I really thought this was kind of fun. Uh, 
fun little tidbit. It's like, what's in Walt's galley? You know, he had his own studio, mm-hmm. and I thought it was so fascinating. Like, what is in Walt's like refrigerator, and like, <laughs> what does he drink? And so, and since in the tiny galley had a refrigerator, a grilled cheese press, a toaster, an ice bucket, an ice crusher for Walt's favorite cocktail, which was the Scotch Mist, and a Tom and Jerry serving set. I don't know what that is. We're so old school, like with like, or they're so like, they're that's a whole time period right there where yes. they name things the bar was stocked with black and white scotch Walt's preferred brand Miller High Life beer Coca-Cola 7-Up V8 juice and snacks on hand were smorgasbord of peanuts and assorted mixed nuts from Main Street USA Candy Palace and I was like oh fun you know like he's like he likes 7-Up he was no Sierra Mist fan alright does that even exist Sprite <laughs> Sprite so I was like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm like getting in the inside of like little stuff like oh, yeah. that. Like, yeah. what's in there? And so that's what's up there is retired, you know, or, or, or expired mixed nuts <laughs> right. and seven up. It's like our, the, it's like the Jones soda that I got in 2002, and it's still, it's still in our parents' fridge. Yeah. No one will touch it. Well, I hope not. <laughs> They'll die. <laughs> Fermented soda. <laughs> All right, so Jack, did you have anything in Town Square? I had or? something outside of Disneyland. Oh, outside. All right. Outside of Disneyland. It's just a little tidbit. So when Disneyland first opened, uh, it was not open, you know, seven days a week. It was uh, closed on some days for cleaning. And on those days that were cleaning, Walt was really concerned about those that maybe weren't paying attention to the schedule or whatnot and showed up and, you know, saw the park was closed. And so oh, yeah. he made sure, like, shops were open so at least they could get a souvenir of Disneyland, which I thought was really sweet, just to, like, con- just be considerate uh, of the, the guests. He opened the newsstand. Yeah. Which is still there. Yeah. It's right it's outside. It's not a newsstand, but it's a souvenir. It's the shop right outside the gates of Disneyland. It's probably the precursor of World of Disney and Downtown yep. Disney. That's right usually there. where you can get your autograph books. Yes. Um, so I just I just really enjoyed that tidbit because Walt was just very focused on the guests and making sure even if the park wasn't open, they also had a chance to have a little souvenir. That's great. Um, and then also, like, he wanted to make sure... All of the animals felt welcome and had a plan to have a, you know, a place of a, a place for the dogs to enjoy the park or enjoy a park. Yeah, there's a there's yeah. like a Oh yeah, the, he, the dog land. Building a dog land. Built a little kennel. Yeah. And I I've, I've seen video footage of it and it is nice. Like it's got a nice little it's not just like a a warehouse with you know, kennels. Right. You know, like, there's a nice little garden walk where you can take your dogs out for a walk and, you know, give them the attention that they need in the middle of the day. Yeah. I just like those two things because Walt really paid attention to detail. That was... For the guest convenience and... That was one thing he was good at, the details. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Cool. Peter, you got anything? I do. I've got another one from the apartment. Mm -hmm. Sorry from the apartment wouldn't be me if I didn't get emotional. So let's go emotional right from the top. Uh, it, it is the stem of your, like, emotion. That 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 um, fire station right there. Yes. 
So uh, this this story comes from uh, a, a Mouseketeer. Mm. It said, on the opening day of Disneyland, we Mouseketeers were in the Walt Disney's apartment above Main Street Fire Station when the gates of the park opened for the first time. I was standing next to him at the window, watching his guests come pouring through the gate. When I looked at him, he had his hands behind his back. It grinned from ear to ear, and I could see a lump in his throat and a tear streamed down his cheek. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of a... See, I told you. It's happening. <laughs> I'm already crying. It was just a great moment, a human moment for Walt to... to to see his dream come true, to see the people come through this gate, something he'd been dreaming about for decades at this point. Yeah. Uh, to finally see guests excited to, to run through the park, go go in and in, enjoy this thing that he had created. And so, like, you know, it, he, he got that special moment. And yeah. so I really enjoyed that story. That's a good one. Yeah, it's... And that's what this book is really good. It really humanizes him. Yeah. He always gets this like cap. It was like always oh, a capitalist, but it's right. like no, this really is the human piece of Walt. Yes. Like more than any biography ever. Right. It's other people through their eyes. Uh, the man Walt. Right. You don't see him like this is my autobiography. Like Benjamin Franklin's like I'm the man. Walt's <laughs> right. not doing the same thing. <laughs> no, like, like these are all people sharing their experiences. I do have a funny story, um, kind of in the same area. Yeah. Um, it says, um, so this is, uh, let's see here, uh, guy William Sullivan, who started as a Jungle Cruise skipper in 1955 and went on to become operation supervisor at Disneyland. He recalled. When I was working graveyard security, <laughs> I remember this yeah, I oh, got yeah. I got this call over the radio from a new employee who said, "There's a guy out here uh, that thinks he's Walt Disney." <laughs> it was one o'clock in the morning, so I got on my bike and I went there. And I went there, and, and sure as hell, it was Walt. He said, "Thank God, Zolly, it's you." This guy is going to lock me up. <laughs> I explained things and walked, walked back to his apartment over the firehouse and said goodnight. <laughs> I just thought that's hilarious. He's like, there's some crazy guys yeah. in this Walt Disney walking around the park at one in the morning. Yeah. Which is, which is a testament that, you know, Walt just loved walking around. His, his, this was his playground. Oh, it absolutely was. Oh, and this leads into my next story, which is, it was, it's perfect, because I love this story, it's probably one of my favorite stories of the whole thing, is uh, the ice cream parlor, or the sun-kissed citrus uh, house. So before there was ice cream parlor, it was the home of the Lessie Sun-Kiss. It was in the wee hours of the morning, before the park opened, Walt used to break into the citrus house. He didn't own it. You know, at sponsors, it was their place. Mm-hmm. They were renting it. Um, what was it? Uh, before the, yeah, they, he didn't own it. Sunkiss did. To make orange juice using the modern extractor. So Walt would go in there and squeeze orange juice. He always paid, by the way, leaving coins on the counter. Pretty soon, it occurred to the shop manager, Bo, Bo Foster, to give Walt an electric juicer for his Disneyland apartment. He arranged for Walt's secretary to lure him anytime Walt would be in the park, ensuring that there would be always be plenty of fresh sun-kissed orange, oranges in the galley kitchen. 
While that was considerate, Walt preferred playing with the machine at the Sunkiss, explaining, Bo, the juice just doesn't taste the same. I'd rather have your juice fresh from the spigot, you know. But I love how he's like, he's still paid, like, yeah. with the crime, yeah. and he's all like, here's the coins, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, that was the first, like, story I read was like, whoa, Walt's character is, like, yeah. a parent right there. Like, like, it was not beneath him to be like, like, he totally could have pulled the CEO card on Walt Disney. I'm going to get myself some free orange juice. No. Went out of his way. I, you know, he got the orange juice and he left the money there. Like, yeah. Like, that tells you something about the type of person he was. Oh, he did it with, like, popcorn, too. Right? Yes. Oh, I, I, that's one of my favorite stories. Okay, so I'll, I'll save that one, too. Yeah. Um, so, what do you got, Jackie? I liked the story of him coming up with the word animatronics. Oh, yes. That's a good uh, one. So they were making great moments with Mr. Lincoln, and they were trying to come up with the name of... What the, to call this robot? What to call the robot. And he goes, hmm, we can call it anima, anima, animatronics. We can combine um, electronics and animation. It will be called animatronics. And everybody was mumbling the words. Uh, I was like, yeah, but there's sound in there, too. And he was like, okay, we'll call it audio animatronics. <laughs> it's just like, well, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure he used like a sarcastic, like, okay, Tommy. Fine. We'll put audio. You see, like, the it's SpongeBob was like, the the, like yeah. It's, it's the sound guy that's all like, well, there's audio, too. <laughs> I do a part. <laughs> Fine. Audio animatronics. But I just love how, like, even as, like, a business owner or creator, you can create your own words and yep. create your own history. And now animatronics is huge in today's world. Not oh, yeah. in just in Disney. Well, we were at the convention, and there was that guy that can make a custom animatronic for like 25000 right. And mom and dad are going, so we're going to make an animatronic of you when you're dead. And I was like, this sounds like the like person that like kills someone and stuffs them and talks to them. Like, what would your animatronic do? And, you know, <laughs> just sit on the couch like, let's watch Smallville. You know, like, <laughs> what a great idea. <laughs> Survivor's on, everyone. <laughs> uh. Okay, Peter, what do you got? Uh, I do have a good one. Um, uh, so, uh, this was... Walt was also known to make dining a good experience for his guests, not just a necessity. He would walk the park in disguise. I love the disguise. All right. yeah. Wearing an old hat, dark glasses, glasses observing how people were treated on one of these walks... He saw him stop at a newly opened restaurant with the table seating outside. A young boy was bussing dishes, scraping them into a cardboard box from the table in front of the diners. Not a very appetizing thing to watch. Walt walked over to the boy, patiently and quietly explained to him that cleaning plates should not be exposed to guests, and asked the boy to take the used dishes back to the kitchen and clean them. Walt waved his hand uh, a bit. The boy nodded and removed the dishes. I watched the whole thing from a distance. I kept seeing this picture in my mind. I was really shocked by the whole thing. It did look bad from the guest point of view, but Walt didn't raise hell uh, with the busboy's boss. 
he spoke only to the boy, and I'm sure that neither the boy nor the diners knew that it was Walt. It was typical of Walt to go to the source of the problem in this way. Yeah, he was very direct and get to the source oh, of yeah, it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he didn't go like, I'm going to go to your manager, and your right. manager is going to really roll it downhill yeah. for you. Right, and he was able to talk to him and say, hey, just do this. And, you know, that kid didn't get in trouble. The boss didn't feel, his boss didn't feel like they were in trouble. And, like, nobody knew what was going on, but, like, Walt, he fixed the problem right away. And it became, like, protocol Pretty much. at yeah. that point. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, where I got one. Um, it's John Hench quote about changing pavement. Um, yes, I'm going to talk about cement. Oh, you're uh, back at it, huh? Uh-huh, back to Dis- infrastructure. Disney loves cement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. There's even YouTube videos just on cement. <laughs> um, I was astonished by Walt. Uh, by the way, Walt would create a kind of live action cross dissolve when passing from one area of Disneyland to another. He even insisted on the changing of the texture of the pavement at the threshold of each new land because he said you can get information about changing environments through the soles of your feet. It's like, the detail! It's there! And like, as you're like reading, you're like, oh yeah, every time. New, new land, new cement, even if it's just color. Mm-hmm. Even some rides have their own texture, like... The, the cobblestone at the Haunted Mansion is only there yeah. at Disney World, and then you get into the poop rivers of America. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jack, you got anything yeah. in Main Street? Uh, I have things in Adventureland. Are we so. ready to move on to Adventureland? Sure. We can go to Adventureland. All right, uh, what do you got, Jackie? Adventureland, I like, I didn't know this, the original... Uh, idea for the tiki room was going to be a restaurant yeah. yes. with live birds but Walt decided that was not a great idea. Did he poo poo on that idea? <laughs> yeah. yeah. They decided that was exactly not a great idea just because timing of the meal to the birds performances yeah just wasn't. But so it became a show and an animatronic. Sorry, sir, there's no ice cream allowed in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Walt wanted it to be. <laughs> well, yeah. One thing, this is one of the Tiki Room. Yeah. It is the only ride with Walt's name on it. And it's the first with audio animatronics. It's the only one at Disneyland. Yeah. That was, we are at I know, I know, I know, but <laughs> make sure. Yeah, there is Disney World attractions that yeah, have his But it's the Walt Disney Enchanted Room. And I was like, oh, nice. What about Mr. Lincoln? Yeah, I thought I thought it was Walt Disney Thanks. Presents Mr. Mr. Great Link- Moments with Mr. Lincoln. Well, I guess it's not the name. It just... Walt Disney He's just presents. presenting it. He's just oh, presenting. Okay. All right, all right. I don't know. Just what it said in the book, all right? <laughs> <laughs> it's like when I read something online and you're like, I don't think that's true. I'm like, well, I read it on the internet. And my teacher wanted me to have one source, okay? And that's it. I'm sorry it's wrong. <laughs> Alright, Peter, what do you got in Adventureland? Uh, I've got one from the Jungle Cruise. Um, uh, you, we have uh, Dick Nunes. Love from him. Uh, he had a lot of interactions. He goes, uh, On one of my first days in Adventureland, I was at the Jungle Cruise when Walt stepped off a boat and asked Dick, uh, what, is the, what is that trip time? I told him seven minutes. He said, well, I just got a four, uh, a four and a half minute trip. 
How would you feel if you went to a movie and they cut out the center reel? I went through that hippo pool so fast I didn't even know what I was seeing. Because all the hippos were dead. Because they <laughs> shot them all. So, Walt, uh, do you have the time to go around with me in a boat? Show me. And he went with me through the ride and showed me uh, what he wanted. After he left, I got with uh, with the, my foreman and told him, for the next week, you and I are going to get seasick of this ride. on this ride. <laughs> we spent the whole week retraining everyone. The next week, sure enough, Walt showed up, but he just walked by, so we re- retrained again. The following week and the next week, uh, and the next week, Walt stopped at the attraction. Uh, but he didn't. Uh, but he didn't take just one ride. He rode five or six different boats. But when he stepped off the last one, he gave me the thumbs up. He was satisfied. That's all you need. I'm sure those skippers were like, "Oh boy." <laughs> the pressure of that, like, "Oh, Walt's coming. We gotta make sure this is perfect." Now, like, I think this, like, the standard is way different. The pressure here, I feel, is like way different than it would be today. Safety first. Right. Oh, yeah. But when it comes Christmas, it's like, safety first and theory. <laughs> but right. get us when we want to fire you, it's safety first, <laughs> but it's efficiency, which is the fourth one. Right. And so, like, here, we, it, it, we got a good example of Walt seeing a problem before it became a problem and being like, no, you need to make this right. Yeah. And and so they worked hard to make it right for the guest. That's a positive change. Like, yeah, the skippers had to train constantly to make sure that it was the full seven-minute journey that it's supposed to be and not the four-and-a-half-minute rush through the jungle. Oh, yeah, and it's easy to, like, rush through things because you're like, I've got so many people got to run through this. And, like, Jungle Cruise is a premier ride Yes, of its time. All right, so while we're at the Jungle Cruise, um, I have Walt's elephant. Um, Walt was intimately involved with the epic adventures. With the uh, epic adventure, Blaine Gibson explains what happened at the studio in the planning stages. Walt came in and saw our model, and I remember he said, "You know, we need an elephant climbing out of, out onto the bank. Maybe reaching out for some branches, like in our." nature pictures and then he pushed down his pants like they were high-waisted remember he's high-waisted yeah. pants like he's got hips now like he's got him on his i don't want to say he pulled down his pants and like <laughs> <laughs> i was really i was like this is turning bad uh a little bit so he could get the elephant look and he used his hand for the trunk and he got up on a chair i actually went ahead and bottled him as that elephant it's still in Disneyland, as far as I know, on the far side of the pool, climbing up the bank. And so that is Walt's elephant. I had no idea. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's... The things that, like, I can point out to people yeah. when I'm there, and, like, everybody is just, it's just an elephant. I was like, no, that's Walt's elephant. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I want to be like... I want to be like Peter, where it's all like, you see that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's this. And everyone's like, whoa, yeah. it's a tree. Wow, yeah. yeah. So that, I read that, and I was like, oh, I thought of I thought of Peter, and like I can look for it and then point to it. You can point it. out to the, everyone that you go and visit with, and everyone's going to be awed and inspired. Yeah. And they're like, tell me more secrets. Tell me more. Tell me more. All right, Jackie, what do you got? I'm in Frontierland. Moving on. Yeah. Um... Okay, I like this quote by Jim Cora. Uh, 
page 86 if you need it. But uh, One morning before the park opened, I was near the Mark Twain when I noticed Walt was standing outside the Golden Horseshoe. I was curious what Walt was doing, so I walked over there. Two workers were hanging a refurbished sign. Walt told them it was crooked. Uh, and one of the workers was holding a level tool and showed it to Walt and added, sir, it's straight. And Walt shook his head and he's like, nope, it's not. And the worker climbed the ladder, measured again, and Walt was right. It wasn't straight. Oh, you gotta have an eye of a straight line. Oh, He's yeah. an artist. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Just like the detail, and he was—he's there. Even when a sign's going up, he's paying he, attention. He—he he knows. Ex yeah, exactly. Like he knows what he wants his park to look like, and he does not have room for imperfections. Yeah. When it came to it, like he did not want Walt Disney to be like the run-of-the-mill theme park, or no. well, there was no theme park, but amusement park. Of the time where it's all like, oh, yeah, this was cheaply done. He yeah. wanted to look nice and neat and clean. Mm-hmm. I've got a similar story. Okay? Yeah. Uh, on the rivers of America. He says, when the time came to fill the rivers of America with water, the surveyors... Like, you know, yeah, like, that's one made my list, too. Yeah, uh, the surveyors uh, and engineers explained to Walt that they would need a special pump to get the water from the source to the river. Animator and director Wilford Jackson recalls, Walt said, uh, no, just cut a uh, flume here, then turn the water on. The men said that the water doesn't go uphill, and this was impossible. Walt insisted, finally to appease their boss, they turned on the water. Sure enough, the water ran uphill to the river, uh, what they didn't realize was that Walt had a terrific memory. He remembered the lay of the land from his orange grove visit. He knew where the source was and how the orange grower irrigated. The engineers had an error on their maps, but Walt knew better. So the topographic, like, <laughs> elevation maps were Were off. incorrect. And just from his memory, I mean, there's lots of, there's always that, that classic photo or video footage of Walt pacing the land and yeah. like that's where he literally he knew this is how well he knew the land was that he knew it better than the people who made the maps yeah alright we try <laughs> <laughs> it's not perfect <laughs> yeah that was a good one um, I would read there's another quote where it was like the rivers of America was his was his favorite place oh, probably absolutely. yeah for like he would just stare out or like just be there yeah and so I, I I was like that. Um, so I'm going to go, and I didn't know this. Uh, it's at the Golden Horseshoe, Wally Boggs private apartment. And so, mm -hmm. so there was an other occupied apartment at Disneyland. Walt wasn't the only one with an apartment at Disneyland. The Golden Horseshoe star, Wally Boag, I think it's Boag or Bog, 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 had one, two, um, located above the restaurant that is the Riverbell Terrace today. He explains, Walt was so good to take care of his performers, and he insisted on providing great living quarters for us. He wanted us to ensure we had a comfortable place to relax between the five or six hours, uh, five or six shows we did every day. And I'm all like, yeah, I don't think that's the same standard anymore. <laughs> no. What does Bob have to say about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, that was also one of the stories that I really enjoyed, just, like, his intention to, like, take care, care. Took care of the employees, which is just something that you miss in companies today. For sure. Yeah. Especially Disneyland <laughs> today. Um, Do you guys have anything else in Frontierland? I have the popcorn buying Ooh. story. You want to yeah. do that one? Yeah, I'll do that one. I've got one after that, unless okay. Peter's got something. Yeah. Go, you guys are good. Um... Um, so Walt was over in Lake Rivers of America, just hooking up the view with a sketchbook. Um, and he went over to the popcorn wagon. A young lad was making popcorn. Walt reached in his pocket and pulled out some money and said, a bag of popcorn, please. And he goes, oh, wait, recognize his boss. And he offered it for free. Walt here, no, no, I know you have to account for every carton, so here's the money. Give me the popcorn. <laughs> and then, Give me the card. And he's like, what's up? <laughs> My popcorn! <laughs> <laughs> he like wheelies it down. He's like writing like you do the grocery cart. Woo, popcorn! <laughs> I like at the end, he says, after the exchange, Walt took the popcorn to the bank of the rivers. When a family of ducks swarmed by, he dumped the bag of popcorn to feed them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a stamp popcorn! <laughs> Dump! <laughs> Um, I've got, I've got like two. This one's a funny one, actually. Um, it's, uh, it's Stinky Fish. So there was a fishing pier at, at Disneyland at, uh, the Rivers of America. They stocked it with, uh, river catfish. And, uh, you know, they allowed people to fish until the mid-60s. Its demise was in part because of the odor from guests carrying the fish around the park in an effort to keep the river water's pristine, you know, but like you imagine you catch a fish and you're standing in line behind someone at like Space Mountain in the middle of the day in summer and they've just got catfish baking oh and you're just gosh. like, F my life. Oh I don't want to do this. Goodness. <laughs> so that made me laugh of like, we don't need to do this fishing thing anymore. Imagine you're like, you got your casting and you're like, walking about like, I got bad passes and someone like nails them, like they steal yeah. their like passes and are like, where'd they go? <laughs> Um, and then there was the Walt's Dreaming Tree. It's... So, Walt's Dreaming Tree in the Lakota Village. When you were, when you're a passenger on either Walt's sailing vessel, pay special attention to the Lakota Village on the riverbanks. You know, you got Chief Wave a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, nestled behind the large teepee and fire pit is a very special tree. Botanically, it's a cottonwood, identifiable by its heart-shaped leaves it had special meaning for Walt because when he was a young boy and Marceline, he could he used to lie under its uh, dappled dappled tree excuse me dappled leaves and dream. He named it the Dreaming Tree, credited as the birthplace of his imagination. When the Dreaming Tree was struck by lightning and destroy and destroyed, three saplings known as Sons of Dreaming Trees were grown from the seeds of the original. One replanted near the original site on the Disney family farm. Another in a secret location. Insurance uh, should lightning strike twice. And the third was gifted to Disneyland by the Walt Disney Hometown Museum on the occasion of the park's 50th anniversary. And originally planted near the Mark Twain dock on that occasion. I was like, oh, cool. Walt's dream tree. Yeah. Yeah. It's a 
It's a nice it's one. Like, you're not going to get that anywhere else. No. Like, like, look at that tree. Well, it's imagination. That's it. Where are we going to New Orleans? New Orleans. I have one in here. Go in. for it. One is, it's about the Blue Bayou restaurant, so when they originally were, the concept of it, they were going to put a show, um, like a dinner show in there, and they decided that um, shortly thereafter, Walt abandoned the idea of performers, um, and he says, in this restaurant, the food is going to be the show, along with the atmosphere. And I just love how he just... Stepped back with the idea and edited his idea, and was just like, no, the food will be the show and the atmosphere. And I think that's one of the main reasons why Blue Bayou is such an iconic restaurant today. It's it's one of those things. If you're a big Disneyland fan, you got to do it once. You're going, well, that was nice. Once yeah, I wouldn't bill. say the food right. is the show today, <laughs> but I'm sure back then it was. Absolutely. As opposed to like Disney burgers back in the 50s. Oh, yeah. As opposed to getting like a piece of prime rib that's yeah. there. Disneyland food is stepping up their game. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I Thank agree. you, social media, for that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's just what they gave me. And I'm like, well, that's not. I mean, good. I definitely yeah. remember growing up and it was just like, you did not go to Disneyland unless you wanted those cheap burgers. I will right? say that. That is one positive thing about the social media influence is that. In, our, in, in that time frame of social media, the food in the Disney parks has been scaled up tenfold yeah. compared to what it used oh, to be. Oh, man, it is, it's such a treat. Like, even when I was there in 2006, the food was kind of like, meh. Like, food and wine was, like, a cool thing to go yeah. to. Yeah. Now, all the restaurants, they're stepping up the game. Even ones that have a horrible track record yeah. are stepping up their game where it's like, oh, you're not, you don't just sell garbage hamburgers. Yeah. well... Yeah, you see garbage hamburgers, and I think of that big garbage tub of, like, <laughs> beef hags at the end of the day they didn't sell, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's disgusting. Yeah. Right. Um, I have a story here from Club 33. Which one are you going to do? Uh, the Trophy Room. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, Walt, and I love this story, because it's a good story, and it's a story, it's an idea that eventually came to fruition in a different form. So it's one of those, like, a good idea never dies situation. So so in Club 33, Walt had a personal space plan too, the trophy room, with a masculine motif and hunting trophies provided by his friends. An audio-animatronic uh, vulture uh, was mounted on the wall. Microphones were hidden in the chandeliers placed there with Walt's playful intention to interact with his guests, which they're still there, uh, those microphones. Um always listening right <laughs> the idea was basic magic a cast member would be in the adjacent room listening to the conversation responding as the voice of the vulture for instance someone might say i wonder uh what i should have for lunch and the vulture would answer have a tomato soup although the show never went on in walt's lifetime the feathered predator remains perched in the club yeah I like that story. Really Never been there, so it's always no. the mystery. Yeah. Of it. I've only been in the lobby. Yeah, same. You shall not pass. Yes. They stood at the, the elevator. That's it. That's yeah. as far as I got. Yeah. I've seen pictures, yeah. and it's like, wow. It's really nice. So, yeah. if you have access to Club 33, you want to invite us. Yeah. 
Well, stop talking bad about Bob. We're doing Bob. <laughs> yeah. Bob, Bob Chapek ain't going to invite us to Club 33. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at Club 33, and, and it's the name, you know, the mystery behind it. This is right. almost like urban legends, but this, I figure, I get it all summed up in like a paragraph right here. So one of the biggest mysteries of Disneyland is how Club 33 got its name. The 21 Club in New York City might have been an inspiration. And interestingly, when the Articles of Incorporation were filed with the Secretary of State of California, it was listed as 33 Club. Jim Cora, then a supervisor at Retlaw, Walter spelled backwards, and the name of the company that oversaw Walt's personal holdings, including the two attractions he wholly owned, uh... Sorry. Uh, the train and the monorail recalls that Retlaw's employees were told 33 symbolized the number of sponsors and leases at the time of New Orleans Square's dedication. While this is an accurate accounting, the enigma surrounding Club 33's name prevails. Uh, 33 didn't represent uh, didn't represent the number of Imagineers who created. Uh, Sorry, created uh, Disneyland, nor was it the number of original leases. And even though Club 33 serves alcohol, an idea Walt initially rejected, the club wasn't assigned, wasn't assigned its address. There aren't many addresses outside of Main Street, USA, and thus the name. In order to obtain a liquor license, Walt Disney Archives founder Dave Smith has said 33 refers solely to the street address on the Royal Street. The blue bio address next door is 31. So Walt's grandson and namesake Walter Miller uh, may have come upon uh, the most sentimental theory. Number 33 is in, num is in honor of Diane Disney Miller's birth year. Regardless of 33 symbolism, the exclusive club has an extensive membership waiting list and it is considered a coveted invitation to dine there. So kind of like sums it up like yeah. it's always the mystery. Of right. Like, what's it named after? What's it named it after? 33 sponsors. There's 33 dead bodies holding <laughs> up the frames of it. Like no. the people that stood in Walt's way for this. Well, there we go. Um, we're done with uh, New Orleans Squares. We're going to Fantasyland. Fantasyland. Yeah. yeah. What do you got, Jackie? So I have one. Just for, uh, it's, uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. I thought this was kind of funny. Um, it says, remember, I'm Walt. There's only one mister in Disneyland, and that's Mr. Toad. So, Walt Disney was very adamant, uh, that everyone was on a first-name basis. Yes. Except for so Mr. Toad. Oh. So... So you would never call a Walt, Mr. Walt, or Mr. Mr. Disney. Mr. Disney, yeah. Um, but That's my dad. Call me Walt. It's kind of like that, too. When people say, like, Mr., you know, this, and you're just so like, that's not me. Right. That's just, somebody just else. Just call me by my name. <laughs> yeah, so I really like that. There's only one Mr. in Disneyland. You got anything, Peter? Um, you go first. All right, so uh, this is a story from Harriet Burns, which I did a report on her, right? Yes, you did. It's hard. 
to remember all the people that, and things we've done. For the like, windows, we've yeah. done a lot oh, of windows. Yeah. I think we've reached, I think we're at 100 episodes. Yes, we're, we're, so, we should be. I'm going to throw that out there. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> for the 100. Like, yes. Um, here we go. Harry Burns. When I was doing those stained glass windows, and this is for the canal boats of the world, which is now the story land, storybook land canal boats, uh, Harry Burns recalls I had cut out 30, uh, 360 pieces of lead for this one great big church window. And Walt came in and picked it up, and I hadn't soldered it together. It just scattered everywhere. But that's how uh, hands-on he was. I picked it up, and he said, Oh, no problem, Walt. No problem. We finally learned that if Walt was coming in to the web model shop have everything glued down because he wanted to play with it so badly. It was so marvelous to see his eyes twinkle and to see how delighted he was with our toys. Well, his toys. He did think of our place as a toy shop. I was like, yep, that's Walt's. I yes. love that story. I marked it too. Just that's... the innocent, mm-hmm. just like, I'm a kid in a candy he, shop. He loved miniatures. Like, yeah. He wanted to build an entire land just for miniatures. Uh, besides, you know, the the storybook canal boat ride. So, yeah, like, I totally get it. Um, I have one for Small World. We might have shared this story before, but I like hearing um, uh, Richard Sherman's account of it. Ah, the story. Yeah, yes. the song. So, like, the original idea, we, we talked about this when we talked about, we had our World's Fair episode. But original idea for It's a Small World song was just going to be all the children singing their national anthems, which sounded horrible because it's just like a bunch of noise. It, it, this one yeah. reminds me of like when I went to the Haunted Mansion music like yes. composer oh, yes. and they talked about like, so, you know, when you get to like the graveyard, we just wanted all the ghosts singing at the same time. And it sounded probably like... <laughs> <laughs> and I yes. imagine that's probably what they gave it. Like, okay, we are going along like right. the ride does. And he says, uh, he says, Walt originally was having to sing their own national uh, terrific idea in theory. However, all the different songs were stepping on each other, creating, uh, uh, I, I can't pronounce that word, uh, c- cacophony. Oh, cacophony. Cacophony. Uh, it became apparent that the attraction needed one anthem. Enter Walt's in-house songwriters, the Sherman Brothers. Walt was quick and to the point. I need something, and I need it right now. Uh, No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) It should talk about unity and understanding and brotherly love, but don't get preachy. (laughs) And I need it yesterday, because it was to be translated into a whole lot of different languages. Richard Sherman adds, we wrote a, the song so fast, we thought it was too simple to play for Walt. <laughs> it seems to have turned out pretty well. I would say so. It's yeah. the one ride people go, I would hate to be stuck on that ride. Yeah. I don't know. I can enjoy that. I one. have no problems with that. I don't that. have a problem with it, and every child loves I, I th- it. I think it's one of those things. You go. Th- it's a small world. You go through phases. Yeah. You know, the first time you hear it, you know, you're a little kid, and you're like, ah, it's an easy song to sing along with. And then as you get older... And you, you don't listen to it enough, but you're like, oh my gosh, this song is so repetitive and like 
it's going to drive me crazy. The redundancy. The redundancy. Yeah. It's very simple, and it's like, okay, it's over and over and over again. But then you hit that point, and you just like, you're just all like, you just go with it. And you're just like, eh. yeah. And it's just a catchy tune. And that's the one thing the Sherman Brothers were the best at, were creating the catchiest tunes. But it's funny how, like, you know, even, you know, Walt, he applied the pressure, and he applied the pressure, and we got a gem. Yeah. Out of it. These guys are good at pulling diamonds out of that pressure. All right. Um, let's see. What do I got? Um, I've got like. I can't want to do. I got like Walt's dad joke. All right. Let's do hear it. it. Let's, let's hear it. it. This is the Matterhorn, and someone just was. You know how there used to be the Skyway? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, Walt, why is there a hole in your Matterhorn? And he goes, well. <laughs> It's a mountain in the Swiss, so it's a Swiss mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you clever dog, you. That's good. That's good. Um, here's a character one that I thought was really good. With, um, who was it? It was with Arrowhead. Um, oh, no. Did I put it in the wrong Oh, no. It's over here. Okay. So there's Arrowhead and Walt. So Arrowhead Development was the guys that created, like, Matterhorn. They were, like... The, the future of WED or the Imagineers. Uh, Airhead Development was the company contracted to build six attractions for Fantasyland, all of which, save the carousel, required complex systems that had never been attempted um, before Casey Jr. Uh, train, Dumbo Flying, Snow White's Adventure, Mad Tea Party, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, uh, Bob Gurr, who worked closely with Arrow engineers Ed Morgan and Carl Bacon share this uh, story about Walt's sense of fairness. Soon after 1955, Disneyland opening day, Walt asked, how did you boys come out on the rides? Since Ed and Carl had done the job on fixed bids, they lost money on every one. Walt told them, I don't want you to lose any money on my work. I'll cover your costs. He couldn't have it done, done it without you boys. And it's like, oh, man, that's crazy. People always, like, slam him for that, like, oh, he's a capitalist. And, like, no capitalist would have been like, well, shouldn't have uh, underbid right there. Lesson learned. No, he, like, he's like, I'll cover you guys. And I was like, that's a great story, again, of Walt's character. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And his bit, like, everyone just always slams, like, well, he wouldn't have done it off the backs of other people. And it's like, no, he, he, he knew he was going to need them again. And he couldn't have done it without him. And it's just yeah. like, that's such an old American, like, oh, yes. let me appreciate you. Like, you guys have done great work, mm-hmm. and you need to be rewarded. Um, good stuff, yeah. All right, let's go to Tomorrowland. I don't really have much for Tomorrowland. I have one. Do you have anything, Peter? I'll let you know. I liked the people mover, how, like, Walt was not, like, super excited at first about the people mover, um, until they decided to, like, change the attract to just be around Tomorrowland. Yeah. But it was just, like, the initial reaction of, like, it's nice, and you're just like, oh, it's not bad or good, it's just nice. Yeah, it's good. Um, I've got one with Autopia, and it shows you about, like, Walt's, like, getting the job done. So it's like, one day, 
Walt stopped by the attraction when it was completely broken down. As Bob explained to him, the welders would get called over to the teacups, they'd fix them, and then they'd go over to other attractions and that needed welding and repair, but they never got to Autopia. And he had no repair shop or facilities designed for the attraction, just the little shade area he was sitting in. Well, he didn't really say much, just looked around, walked away. Not too long afterwards, I heard a tractor coming along the dirt road next to the railroad track, dragging a small wooden building on a skid. The tractor driver pulled right into where the Autopia cars were, and he said, Here's your, here's your darn garbage, or excuse me, darn garage. Uh, he used another word. <laughs> Walt told me to bring it over here. Where do you guys, where do you want it? So it was like, Walt saw the problem and he just, he did it. You know, yeah. it was like, this is my sandbox and we're going to take care of this. I'm not taking excuses. And like, he cut the red tape himself. Yeah. He knows it's just there. So I thought that was a fun one. You got anything, Peter? Sure. We got one about Space Mountain. All right, Walt nice. was not around for Space Mountain. Yeah. But he was... He actually helped come up with the idea for Space Mountain. So this was one of mm -hmm. his last ideas that was really created for the theme park. So he said, Space Mountain opened more than a decade after Walt passed away. However, John Hench recalls Walt suggesting Space Mountain as early as 1964. Walt didn't call it Space Mountain at the time, but he felt he, we needed an attraction in Tomorrowland that would pre present the future through space travel. Walt wanted to build a roller coaster style ride but in the dark, which no one had done before. He wanted to have precise control of the lighting and to be able to project moving objects on the interior walls. The plan was done about um, 1966 for Disneyland, said Marty Sklar, but there was no technology for the ride control system. At, that, at the time, to accomplish what he wanted to do, Space Mountain launched a decade later we didn't just build this because we needed another thrill attraction. Walt always intended this to be here, and we never abandoned the idea. John Hench concludes. That's good. So yeah. like it's it's it shows you he was a man ahead of his time. Mm -hmm. He knew what he wanted and he knew the potential. And everyone's like, uh, that's not possible. We can't do that. And he goes, that's what it needs to be. Yeah. And they held on to the idea, and we have Space Mountain today. And you it's can thank Walt ride. Disney. Yeah. It is the popular attraction at in it's either Disney five. parks. Yeah. At any Disney park, Space Mountain is a key attraction, and that is a Walt's idea. Even though it didn't happen until a decade after his death, mm -hmm. this was Walt's idea to begin with. Yeah. So we have like a whole thing of like Walt's influence in the park, and yeah. like oh, this yeah. right there, and it's kind of built on that too. Um, so. As we know, Walt passed, and um, you know, like it, it, you know, Disneyland stayed relatively the same. There are little changes throughout the years and stuff, but um, there's a good quote from Roy, and we'll finish off with this. He goes, "There's no way to replace Walt Disney. He was an extraordinary man. Perhaps there will be never, or there will never be another like him. The world will always be a better place because Walt Disney was its master showman." And, like, 
he's the person people are always comparing to. It's like, oh, he's the next Walt. Yes. And then, mm-hmm. like, later on, they're like, eh, no, not, not so not much. Even close. And, yep. like, the CEOs that come, sorry, Bob, you know. What? <laughs> <laughs> I you thought know. I was doing a good job. Yeah. He's... They just hired me for another three years. <laughs> well, <Yeah>. good luck. <laughs> yeah, that was only three. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's one of those, like, you know, he's the goat. He's the Michael Jordan that everyone's all like trying to compare. It's like this person, they're like they're the next Jordan. Oh, they're they're the next Disney, and it's like you haven't had it yet. There's only a few handful of people that I can honestly like claim like they were the next Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. I would say, uh, um, uh, what's I would say George Lucas. I would mm-hmm. consider him a Walt Disney. Yeah. Um, Jim Henson. Yeah. yeah, and um, he was in the. He could get into the stadium, right? And um, Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs yeah. with like innovation, innovation, not, not right people, correct? The horror stories of people. It's like right, yeah. With innovation, yeah. He, he, I think he, he was in that ballpark. I think so. Yeah. So like those are three people I can say, we got close to another Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like you could tell, like they probably like drew from. That kind of American like yeah. entrepreneurship and like creativity and creating and storytelling for sure. Um, love this book. Um, we barely scratched the surface. Like oh there my are gosh, hundreds and hundreds of stories. And there's there's such feel good and it just like it builds such a better character picture than any documentary or any like giant biography. These are stories of the people it's like one cannot claim their own sanity right right Mm -hmm. you know you need other people to tell it to check you and this book checks like what was good like and what he did and how he treated and if you are a disney fan i really recommend it so again it's waltz with apostrophe s disneyland a walk in the park with walt disney it's uh, marcy character smothers and the book and i'm looking at the price in the back it's 16 dollars it's quite affordable it's a good you know coffee book even if you just look at the pictures the pictures are great they tell such a great picture and you see so much more of him with his wife Mm -hmm. yes such an understole story yeah absolutely his his journey and you see pictures with his grandkids his daughters and it's just it's just great. That's all I could say. Yeah. Um, I'm not even going to do Mickey bars on it. I think we all, since it's like, it was a great pull yeah. from Father Yodler. Yes. Uh, is there anything you guys want to share on top of what was what was said or any feelings? No, just, no. If, if you want to get to know Walt Disney, Walt the man, not Walt the, the manager. The legend. Yeah. If you want to know Walt the man. This, this is a is great a book. book. It, it tells you exactly the type of person he was. Like the stories we shared, those little tidbits, that was just a hint of the type of person he was. Yeah. And and like these are stories that you're not going to hear normally in most biographies. Yeah. Or YouTube. Like. Or YouTube. They're not going to tell most of these stories. Like a lot of these stories I have never heard of before. Yeah. And I'm fully consumed in this media. He's in the pool of info. Yeah, I, I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know about this and Walt, and he did that with the orange juice. You know, that's a cool story. Or him almost getting arrested in his own theme park. <laughs> it was a fun one. You know, like, there's so many cool stories that don't 
hit the mainstream that like this really hits the nail on the head for the the, the good Disney fan the casual yes. one yeah. it's just it's a it's good and it's especially especially if you want to teach the next generation about who Walt was this is a good book even for that. like if you're an entrepreneur and you want to like have your own business like this is a good book just to know like how to be a good like run a good company how like, to be good with how to people. develop the characteristics of like not be so fixated on like yes details important but you got to build the culture yeah. right of the product and that's what he was a master of it so uh, thank you for listening. Again, like I said, we've we've hit over 100 episodes, and we really just want to thank uh, those who have been with us or those who are joining us with um, this adventure. It all started with uh, debates in our parents' living room yes. yeah. over, like, what ride and competitions. We, and... we would stare at the map at Disneyland and figure out, like, what we would do to change it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And the creative battles that we do with characters and... Uh, we're, we're at year two now at this. And it's it's been fun. Uh, yeah. Definitely want to thank uh, uh, Jackie for getting the ball rolling. She just really, like, kicked it in. And 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 thank Peter for his creative juices yeah. with, like, the music and the audio that goes with it uh, and, and the editing. And thank you for your commentary and your you're, jokes. You're the comedian. You're the comedian. <laughs> you're the comedian. The for sure. Well, I appreciate it, and uh, and uh, follow us on our social medias. Uh, share with us. You know, I'm always talking to friends, going, "Oh, you like Disney? Like, try this podcast." That would, and they'll be like, "What about this idea?" And I'm all like, "Done it. Here you go. Listen to it. It's yeah. fun." And so, spread the word, and we get more ideas from our fans. And uh, until then, Avita Zing. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Matterhorn Yodelers. Please remember before your bobsled comes to a complete stop to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, remain seated please. Permanecer sentados, por favor. <laughs>